Hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah, reading Isaiah 49, verses 7 to 13. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised and abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will help you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and from these from the land of Syene. Sing, O joy, and heavens exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. The uh, certainty of uh, God's uh, people uh, and their success in the Christian faith, as you might imagine, is uh, entirely linked to the promises of God uh, to his servant's son so that uh, his success uh, becomes uh, our success. Uh, we are following, as you recall, the second servant song. Again, uh, we read that uh, the servant is in distress and God begins to answer his distresses in the text before us. Uh, he, he first, in verse 7, promises uh, to reverse uh, his every misfortune. And then, in verses 8 to 12, that uh, all of the promises of restoration will find their ultimate fulfillment in the servant, or to us in Messiah, Christ. And then finally, uh, the created order will erupt in praise over the divine provision of the Son, verse 13. Uh, as you know, I take the uh, servant uh, to be Messiah. Uh, therefore, all of the language of these uh, songs, uh, 42, 49, 50, and of course, 52 and verse 53, find their ultimate fulfillment uh, in him, uh, as, against, as over and against uh, the promises of God to release the children of Israel from Babylon uh, and the second exodus. It's true that there is, in a certain sense, an immediate fulfillment and uh, recovery from Babylon, but ultimately all points to Christ and the Messiah. Uh, in our case, uh, it's most important, I think, to recognize that 
We were set free from bondage to sin, and the great shepherd, the great servant, is our provision for our exodus to our eternal home. It's most important, I think, for every Christian to recognize that the story of the exodus out of Egypt, the story of the exodus out of Babylon, is really our story, the last great exodus that will have its terminal point in uh, our eternal rest in eternity. Uh, contextually, uh, the immediate context is uh, the servant's complaint at his, at his apparent failure. If you look, for example, verse, uh, verse 4, the 49th chapter, uh, the servant, Messiah, says, I've told in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. So the servant is complaining. And in the text uh, before us, God answers his complaint uh, by promising that he will have success. Uh, by the way, in terms of application, uh, you and I on occasion uh, complain about our lot in life. It's a lot to complain about, I grant you. Uh, and the answer is always uh, God's promises to his son. And therefore, the answer to our complaints are in the Son, the Messiah, the provision of God. Uh, the first answer, uh, verse 7, is that success is in the fact that God the Father will reverse the misfortunes of his Son. And so the text begins, thus says the Lord, and God here, most importantly, describes himself as the Redeemer, the Holy One, and he addresses the Messiah. Notice the address of the Messiah. The despised one, abhorred by the nations and the servant of rulers. At first blush, it's a reminder that Jesus has suffered defeat. Uh, it's not, this is not the language of victory. Uh, we, something of the language we'll pick up later on, but Isaiah 53 and verse 3. He was despised and forgotten, forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Again, it captures the language of the complaint of the servant. Another application here, if the servant faces distress, then we will too, because he's the captain of our salvation. As he suffers, we're going in some manner or form to confront the vagaries of life either because of the fall of the first Adam or simply the persecution of, uh, of the sons of men uh, as they attempt to destroy the church, the sons of God. But again, God promises reversal. Let's look first at the reversal. Um, God says kings will see and arise and princes will bow down. It means that the complaint is now being reversed in Messiah, the servant. Again, parallel language the last servant song, perhaps the one that is best known, Isaiah 52, verse 15. Thus he will sprinkle many nations, kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. It's the language of the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 2. The name of Jesus, every knee will bow. The name of Jesus, every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father in God the Son, Jesus Christ. 
But again, the reversal of the son, the promise that he will have success, uh, falls to us as well. For example, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, in Christ we shall overwhelmingly conquer because of him who loved us. God will reverse all of our misfortunes in God the Son. We will be conquerors. But Paul expands the language, we will overwhelmingly conquer because of him who loved us. The love of God abides upon you because of God the Son. You will be a conqueror. That which God has foretold of you. The majesty of, of the answer to all of our distresses is in God the Son. And again, these uh, promises, uh, latter part of Isaiah 49, verse 7, are based upon what you should well imagine. The faithfulness of God. I'm always somewhat amused at, at many of the well-meaning Christians uh, think that uh, they garner in their works merit before God. Don't fully understand the truth of the Scripture. That we do good things, and based upon the good things that we do, God does good things to us. Really, they need to understand it's all based upon the faithfulness of God. And God is again, is going to reverse the misfortunes of the Son based upon his faithfulness. But it's our reversal as well. I love the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 13. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted upon what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. It's a reversal of our misfortunes. How do we come to the way of mistake? Or what's the cause of our, of our escape from the way of our distresses in life? God is faithful. The faithfulness of God is the foundation of our every salvation, our every success, God's goodness and his faithfulness. Isn't it interesting that uh, returning back to Isaiah 49, uh, that the first answer to the reversal of the distress of the servant is, is uh, the Holy One of Israel who has, who has chosen the Son, elected the Son, set his affections upon the eternal Son. I, I'm again amused because oftentimes in the American church we downplay doctrine. Here are two of the greatest doctrines of all of the Christian life, the doctrine of election and the doctrine of the majesty of God in his faithfulness. And therefore, to the servant son, they make the reversal of his misfortunes an absolute certainty. But I remind you, as much as we attempt to despair doctrine, they are really a psychology that give us peace and joy. Because in the midst of all of our distresses in life, what holds us, what keeps us, what preserves us, is the fact that God has chosen us and set his affection upon us from eternity past. And it has a way of keeping us the love of God. That he loved us in eternity past, he loved us now, and he will love us forever. And because God is immutable, he could do nothing less than love us. Isn't it interesting that our affection, love, is such a contingent thing? I love you if. I'll love you if you'll do this for me. God's love is immutable, unchangeable, and it breaks from the dawn of eternity. 
who could use such language. The faithfulness and the goodness of God in our election. And again, I remind you that it's those truths that will hold the servant son in the traces of infinite suffering. It's the same that will hold us, that God loves us. He will keep us and preserve us in the majesty of his perfections. Again, we disparage doctrine in the American church, but we ought not to here because it's a psychology that holds us in difficult times. And that psychology is based upon the answer to our distress in the Messiah. And if God answered the Messiah and we are in him, he is our ultimate answer to all of our distress. Secondly, God promises uh, his son, the Messiah's success, in that all of the restoration promises of Isaiah will find their ultimate fulfillment in him, in Jesus, verses 8 to 12. Uh, again, this second response is marked just as he began the first. Thus says the Lord. Uh, the content references a favorable time and day of salvation. Again, Isaiah 49, verse 8. In a favorable time, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. God speaking to the Son. The language speaks to restoration. I believe ultimately embracing the day of Jubilee when slaves were set free and the land returned to original ownership. Again, notice the words, restore the land and set free the slaves. My conviction that all of the land promises uh, speak to eternity. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Uh, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul uh, cites Isaiah chapter 49, 8 as being fulfilled in his ministry. You have your New Testament, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Uh, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul is identifying himself with the message and ministry of Messiah in order to validate his apostolic legitimacy, because they were running him down. Therefore, the time of the end-time restoration foretold in Isaiah has begun in Jesus, and Paul is advancing it. And therefore, they should accept the legitimacy of his apostolic office in light of the fact that the promise is ultimately fulfilled in Christ and the apostle is advancing it. Uh, by the way, what's the content of what Paul was advancing? 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Uh, in verse 18, uh, references the content of what Paul was advancing in the Corinthian church. These things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And therefore, the Apostle Paul is carrying on the ministry of reconciliation. That ultimately, we will learn in the last servant song that the servant son, the Messiah, is the entire basis of our reconciliation to God by virtue of his sacrificial work, the provision of God. Again, the answer to our every distress. Therefore, the time of the end-time restoration, the day of salvation, is begun in Christ. Uh, here, the language uh, begins uh, 
to break upon what I think is uh, some of the greatest promises of uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, in terms of the end time Exodus, verses 9 to 11. Let's, let's reread those verses. Saying to those who are bound, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourself. Along the roads they will feed, and their pasture will be on the bare uh, heights. They will not hunger or thirst, neither will the scorching heat nor sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. And I will make all my mountains a road and my highways will be raised up. Again, it speaks to, of course, the, the exodus out of Egypt, the exodus out of Babylon. Uh, that God promised to provision them all along the way. It's like our exodus to eternity. We, how can we survive the journey? How can we make it? Uh, how will we have enough food and drink? Provision of God in Christ. Because ultimately this language ba- breaks upon uh, the faithfulness of God to us in his faithfulness to Messiah. Let's, let's look at the particulars of these promises. First we read, Along the roads they will feed, verse 9. Uh, The word roads in the New American Standard is literally way. Along the way they will feed. And so when we read, for example, in John 14, 6, I am the way, we know that this text is breaking finally and ultimately upon Christ as the way of salvation, the way of exodus. I mean, again, it frames the gospel. We oftentimes think of the gospel as come to Christ and uh, come to the forgiveness of sin and guilt and, and his provision from the cross. And certainly that is a measure of the gospel. But it's also the gospel of the exodus. Leave your bondage. Uh, forsake spiritual Pharaoh and Satan and his fallen angels. Leave and follow Christ who's the way. Because he is the way. He's the way to heaven. Again, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, as a fulfillment of of the Exodus promises to the nation of Israel, breaking uh, upon our journey. The last great Exodus. Always chagrined, however you break out politically on this immigration debate we're having in our country. Not really concerned about how you break upon it. This is a greater immigration. There's greater immigrants. It's the church leaving the city of destruction for its eternal home. Well, how do they know where to go? Christ is the way. It's interesting that uh, uh, Isaiah goes on to, uh, to say that, uh, again, verse 9, and their pasture will be on the bare heights pasture. Uh, along the way, you are you encounter hunger and thirst. I mean, you take a trip, and there's always some restaurant along the way. Uh, Christ is that restaurant. Again, uh, John tells us this, I think, ultimately alluding to Isaiah 49, uh, John chapter 10. In the ninth verse, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out. And then notice what the text reads, 
and find pasture. I confess to you, I've, I've never been a rancher. I don't, I don't know what it means to take care of cattle or sheep or goats or whatever it is that ranchers engage in caring for, but I have some semblance that they provide feed for their animals. Christ is our pasture. He is our way. He is the door. We find pasture in him. Secondly, Isaiah says, verse 10, they will not hunger or thirst. That God provisioned Israel during the first exodus and now in Jesus. It's interesting that this text finds its ultimate fulfillment in the words of the apostle John. Revelation chapter 7. Again, as a reminder that these texts find their ultimate fulfillment in the provision of God in God the Son. And I know you have many distresses in life and you cannot answer them and maybe you will not be, ever be able to answer them save the answer is in Messiah, is in Christ, in God's provision in Messiah and in Christ. Now, Revelation chapter 7, verses 16 to 17. Speaking to the spirits uh, before the throne of God. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, I know today we've got restaurants all along the way. There's always a McDonald's or a Burger Doodle or whatever it is. And, 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 and even more so, you can go to the store, can't you, and buy a case of water bottles so that you never have to stop at Burger Doodle and get a drink. For the Christian, it's an arduous journey. Christ is our drink all along the way. The springs are the water of life, the provision of the Spirit, that God provisions His sons. By the way, the call to worship this morning, Psalm 23, ultimately breaking in the shepherd of the sheep, ultimately messianic. Remind ourselves of the great provision of God Psalm 23, second, second verse. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That Christ is our pasture land that we can feed all along the journey. We'll never go without. He never runs out of provisioning his people. I mean, you can eat your favorite hamburger or whatever it is, cheeseburger, chicken burger, all along the way. Eventually, they all run out. Eventually, you get hungry again. In Christ, those things never happen. He never runs out. And you hunger and thirst never again in him. The constancy of the majesty of the certainty of his eternal, absolute provisioning for his people all along the way. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the quiet waters. Again, giving us drink. He restores my soul. It's an arduous journey, I, I know, and I sympathize with all of the complaints, but God will fix them all in God the Son and provision us all along the way. I understand that many questions in life have no ultimate answers save in eternity, but the immediate answer is always Christ the Messiah, provision of God the Son. As such, Jesus is successful as the Good Shepherd and we are fully provisioned in him. 
We want and lack for nothing with him as our, as our shepherd in our journey to heaven. It's the language of John in his gospel. I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. By the way, I, I'm also mindful that uh, that theology is not very popular in Oklahoma City. Uh, most churches hold that you can come to Christ and begin your journey, and at some point you can uh, fall away from him and need to be saved all over again. It's not the language of Scripture. Uh, it really, it speaks uh, more in a disparaging way to the Good Shepherd. If the Good Shepherd loses his sheep, then can we really call him the Good Shepherd? That's the problem people have is they, they, they vacate theology. Our Shepherd is a Good Shepherd. And in him, we will never perish. It's a reminder of uh, the certainty of our salvation, the security of our salvation, uh, based upon what he does for us and what he did for us. If it were anything else, ladies and gentlemen, we would fall away. But it's not based on anything else. It's based upon what he did as the good shepherd who shepherds his sheep, who is our pasture and our wellspring of drink. Thirdly, Isaiah, the sun and heat will not strike them during our exodus. Again, it imagines us in the ancient Near East beginning a long journey in a wilderness, like from Egypt to the Promised Land, the desert sun. I mean, I, I've told you this before in terms of an example of myself. I, I don't have much of a covering, and I've got very fair skin. The sun absolutely eats me up on a hot day. But not so the spiritual journey, because God protects his people. I mean, I go to the skin doctor, and she's always, uh, I call it pulling weeds. I, I, I call it my persecution time. It's like someone burning me with cigarettes. I, liquid nitrogen or whatever it is that she uses, I don't know. It's just the reality of the sun and what it does to my fair skin. Spiritually, those things do not happen to those who find their pasture in Christ, provision of God in God the Son, the Messiah. Really, it's another reminder, is it, of, of the psalmist, uh, Psalm 121, uh, a psalm written to the pilgrims who would leave their homes and go to Jerusalem for the great pilgrim feasts. And again, that was not the day of burger doodle at the side. It wasn't the day of uh, AAA, uh, liability insurance, all the things that we have as modern provisions of a modern world. Difficult journeys, leaving your home, making sure you packed enough. Uh, what would you find on, on the journey to Jerusalem? Well, there were always brigands and wild animals. Always the temptation. Ah, there's an animal outside. There's a lion outside. Lord, I, I can't leave today. No, you leave because God will provision you. He's your safety. Psalm 121, verses 5 and 6, a reminder in our spiritual journey that God is our provision. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. 
And that's the vacuousness of so much theology today. We think we keep ourselves. And I understand we lay hold of the means of grace. There is a certain sense where we keep our souls, but ultimately and finally it all rests upon the fact that it is the Lord God Almighty who keeps us. And if it were any other way, we would fall away to a man or to a woman. But thank God he's our keeper, our shade, our oasis in a dry and thirsty land. Fourthly, his compassion will lead and guide us uh, to the springs of water, uh, latter part of verse 10, Isaiah 49. He will lead and guide us. When it comes to the good shepherd and his sheep, we are not left to wander self-directed. Our shepherd secures us throughout our journey. The word in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, he will... He will lead us, used by the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. As many as are the sons of God, these are being led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit leads us as the vicar of our Messiah. I believe he continually leads us. He is our guide, our shepherd throughout our lives. For any other way, we'd get lost. If for, for any other way, we would follow all the detours of the world and end up in some cul-de-sac of eternal ruin. Not so our shepherd. He guides his sheep and leads us continually. Again, provisions us in pasture land and in the drink of the waters of life. Finally, uh, verse 11, obstacles are removed. Nothing will prevent uh, our advance. Uh, Isaiah, again, chapter 49, uh, the 11th verse. And I will make all my mountains a road and my highways will be raised up. Uh, nothing will prevent our advance. And finally, uh, lastly, the marches of universal scope. We will come from afar, from the north and west, from Sanim, which is probably a town in southern Egypt, uh, but we're going to come because our shepherd is guiding us and leading us. Uh, I think there's a marvelous reminder of this fulfillment in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 29. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God that God in Christ will usher a final call and the saints will flood to his presence and recline with him the last great messianic banquet with all of the people of God. It's interesting to me that we're entering into one of my favorite seasons in life, uh, Thanksgiving. I just have a great fondness for Thanksgiving notwithstanding the abundance of food, sometimes the presence of family. Uh, but there's a greater one. I trust in God's grace when you sit down to Thanksgiving dinner this Thanksgiving, you remember there's a better one yet to come. The promises of God that he will lead you and guide you. You will sit at that feast. Celebrate 
all eternity. Reminder that there are many distresses in life, many of which I can't answer. Perhaps there is no answer other than the fact we live in a fallen world. But ultimately, the answer is the Messiah, Christ, the goodness of God. The hymn that was sung to us uh, this morning, to many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. There are distresses in life. There are also answers. His grace has led me safe thus far. Grace, grace is going to see us home. Well, the text concludes with the occasion for joy, verse 13. The creation erupts in praise uh, because of the promise. It's not just to the uh, fallen sons of Adam that are in Christ. It's also to a fallen creation that's going to be recovered, recovered as by fire, but the new heavens and the new earth. And so it's not just the people of God celebrating, but personification, the creation celebrates because it's been set free from the bondage uh, begun of the curse of Adam. Uh, we find that fulfillment a couple of times in the book of the Revelation, Revelation 12, 12, 18, 20, the creation erupts in praise. And those two verses uh, marks our victory over Satan and judgment on the world system that's begun, it's already started. Uh, the, the world system uh, that is under judgment is is already breaking up, and the new creation has already begun in Christ, the church, the new creation. And the outburst means that our victory is secure. Nothing is in doubt as to our eternal destiny. Uh, the reason the creation is commanded to praise God is the comfort and compassion of the Lord in the gift of Messiah, the servant, Son. Isaiah 49, 13, the Lord has comforted his people, will have compassion on his afflicted. The Lord has comforted his people, have compassion on his afflicted. Our provision ultimately is in, is in God, spiritual provision. Answer ultimately is in God the Son. And so one of the things that Isaiah is telling us that all along the road we're going to encounter distresses. But distress and success in God's economy go together because of the gift of the Son. That in all of your distresses, God has an answer to the Son. And God answers the Son with his distress with the promise of reversal, fulfillment of restoration in the joy of the creation so that his success becomes our success. Distress and success in God the Son go together because of God's provision in the Son for our journey from start to finish. Again, I remind you of the text in conclusion. The servant son is in distress and God answers him uh, with success. And in him, uh, united to him, linked to him, in union with him, his success is our success. Well, this morning, in a very particular way, we uh, have the special privilege of the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, it's one of uh, 
the sacraments of a sense of God's provision for our journey. Uh, in our tradition at Grace Bible Church, uh, the spiritual presence of Christ comes to meet with us by his spirit, to remind us in a memorial way of his work upon the cross, but much more than that, of the constancy of his provision every day for our every journey and every step and every kilometer until we reach the end. As, as a biblical warrant, uh, John chapter 6, in verses 56 to 58, you think about being provisioned for your journey. So again, in Christ. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, and so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but he who eats this bread shall live forever. That, uh, that we come in the sacrament uh, recognizing that our journey is perilous. There are distresses to be met, and God meets with us in his Son. Uh, by way of introduction to the, uh, to the sacrament at Grace Bible Church, we hold to an open communion. You do not necessarily have to be a member of Grace Bible Church to partake. But it is, uh, it is an open communion with a caveat that you know Christ is your Savior. You're not under church discipline. You're not fleeing from one church to the next. Uh, and you're not living in some unrepentant sin. Uh, in light of what Christ has done, we should take these matters seriously. But it is important to recognize that it's not in the bread and the wine. It's in what the bread and the wine signify, that God meets with us and he provisions us in our journey. And so, the journey is perilous, and we grow hungry and thirsty. And Christ comes to give us food and drink, reminds us that we apprehend by faith all of his provisions that will never run out, a treasury that has no end, provisioning that never has empty shelves, or provision that is sparse, he who gets there first uh, gets it all. God never runs out. His, his shelves are never bare. Uh, he doesn't just have a few for the fast and the mighty and the strong and the smart. Yes, everything for his people never runs out. And it is that to which we come, that he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live forever. As we uh, come to the bread, our forefathers had manna in the wilderness. Christ is the bread that came down out of heaven. And by faith, we understand that he provisions our soul and our spirits and strengthens us that we might continue faithful. As the bread is broken and served to you, I invite you to engage uh, the Lord in silent confession. If you, if you need to, uh, it's important to engage the Lord in such but ultimately in thanksgiving and celebration of his grace to you. Please uh, hold the bread until which all are served so that we might manifold the unity of Grace Bible Church and our union with the church at large and our union with Jesus Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, our Shepherd, our Guide, uh, who is always with us. After a, a suitable time, I will uh, pray publicly, and then we will 
we will eat. But again, we come by faith. There's nothing in the bread per se. The bread in and of itself doesn't sanctify, doesn't do anything to you, except by faith you grasp what it means as the provision of God that came down out of heaven for your every need, for the forgiveness of sin, but you're provisioning all along the way. Let's prepare our hearts for bread.